0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. I'm John Bodhortz, the editor of Commentary, and we're just two weeks away from our live podcast taping in Palm Beach, Florida on April 6th. So please go to commentary.org slash live podcast for more details and information late in the afternoon. We'll be there, Abe, Noah, and me, and Christine, and uh, and some special guests, Dan Senor, maybe some others. Not sure yet. Uh, three levels of participation. You can find out all about it at commentary.org slash live podcast. But before we're live on April 6th, we're live right now with executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Christine... Um, can you provide a definition of the word for the word woman?
1: I'm sorry, John. I'm not a biologist, so I really I, I struggle with define. It's an adult female with X two X chromosomes in almost every single case. Um, I, I'm I'm joking because that the artful dodge in a for a Supreme Court nominee used to be a, a questions related to abortion. The fact that in 2022 the artful dodge has to come when asked do you can you define woman. Uh, is sort of shocking, but it does show the sort of uh, the the march of gender ideology on the progressive side of the aisle has has is complete perhaps because uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson was uncomfortable saying what she thought a woman was, even though she is one herself. So uh, this to me seems like one of those moments that we'll look back on in in ten years and say you know that was a kind of defining moment in our uh, in our in these sorts of hearings. Um, Obviously, she didn't want to step on anyone's toes with regard to transgender uh, women. This, these issues will be coming before the Supreme Court. It's inevitable if you look at all the cases that are working their way up through the uh, legal system. Uh, I believe she was also asked about Leah Thomas, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, who is male, uh, but who competes as female. And she didn't want to answer any of that stuff. Now, she can say, I don't want to comment on this because these cases might come before the court. And she, she should, and she did. And she did. she did. And that's fine. But she should be able to tell the American people her understanding of what a woman is because this is now up for debate, evidently. And as a woman, I would have liked to have heard what she thinks a woman is um, because this is something that people are deciding for themselves now. And I don't think uh, that those have that has major repercussions uh, socially and culturally.
0: So the fact that um, Katanji Brown-Jackson refuses to say what she thinks a woman is um, is not going to deny her her place on the supreme court it does get to this fundamental divide in the culture war that um seems to me as we've been saying now for a week to be uh, attaining i don't know if you would call it critical mass or 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 uh launch speed or something like that um I think it's pretty fair to say that for the last 10, maybe to 15 years, all of the energy in the war over gender has been uh, on the on the left or on the uh, the people who believe that gender should be considered fluid and that it's not a, it's not a fixed thing and that uh, uh, whereas we, we moved on from uh, a general uh, consensus that um, sexuality was not a fixed thing. Into now something that uh, all of humankind, from the time that we emerged from the primordial ooze—not the humans emerged from the primordial ooze, but uh, has has understood as one of the maybe the fixed fact of all human existence, who male and female created he them, uh, one one with um, you know one with an XY chromosome, one with two one with XX chromosomes one with body parts that do X, one with body parts that do Y, one with a body part that protrudes below, one that has body parts that protrude above, and 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 the like, that this has now become something um, fluid and, uh, and, and under inherent uh, redefinition. And because this conversation was largely theoretical or cast in the in the realm of uh, well, if somebody wants to do this, what harm are they doing you by doing this? And so there was almost no serious, sustained uh, pushback until you know, with little bits of pieces here and there, like the question of uh, gender-neutral bathrooms in high schools and stuff like that. And then in the last year, year and a half, everything has started. To change and the uh, and the 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 cultural consequences of this um, cultural movement to redefine gender uh, uh, now does strike people as being of of genuine harm and threat to them, their children, and the good working order of the United States as. Girls in particular, which is interesting, by the way, because I think most focus in the course of the seven decades that people have been talking about gender reassignment surgery and the like has focused on men, males deciding that they want to alter their bodies to make them female, the great push over the last 10-15 years as Abigail Schreier has shown us in her book Irreversible Differences has been toward girls redefining themselves as male and particularly teenage girls where this does appear to be you can either consider it an epidemic if you think that it's horrifying or you can consider it some kind of a revolution in consciousness that uh, all people would have wanted had they had access to this kind of
1: change And this but this is what's so interesting to me is that, you know, we used to those of us who were critical of radical feminism uh, back in the day, used to say Mother Nature is not a feminist. And by that phrase meant, you know, the way the world works biologically means that there are certain risks and certain things that fall more heavily uh, on women. It's their burden to bear childbirth being the most obvious, but there are others. now, of course, the argument is that identity should trump biology. And I do think that it's, it's, it's still a very minority and a very elite view that identity is more important than biology. However, uh, I think the gender ideologists are very keen on making the exception the rule. And this gets to the issue of pronouns. We have a lot of listeners who have strong feelings about this. And and we've all been wrestling with this, I think, in terms of how which pronouns to use, where do you draw the line. And there is, you know there is a reason that gender ideologists are so keen on making everyone use these new pronouns to define what is for them an identity they've embraced even if it doesn't comport with their biology and that's because they do want people to embrace this idea it is not true it's scientifically not the case that leah thomas for example is female he is a man he has male parts uh so you know this we are creating a kind of fiction by endorsing that. However, it's done because people want to be kind. They want to be empathetic. They don't want to be rude. This this is particularly heavily felt by women. I have many times spoken to women who are like, well, I just want to be nice. I don't want to be mean to someone who who feels this way. And and that actually plays into a lot of uh, stereotypes about accommodating women as well. So it's a very confusing issue. It should not be confusing for someone who's going to sit on the highest court in the land for a lifetime appointment to define by lot to, to say that she's not a biologist, so she can't say what a woman is, though that's disturbing.
2: I think it's uh, I think it's half done, to be kind. Um, I, I I don't deny that, um, but it's half done by others to get um, to have the opportunity to tell people what they must think and what they must say. Um, and I think w- what's disturbing here, of course, if you have kids. Um, it's it's disturbing in a very real way. But even if you are sort of an onlooker uh, whose life isn't terribly affected by all this, what you witness is a war on reality. Um, when you when you can't sort of when when stating the obvious about reality um, could get you into deep trouble, you're left with the sort of feeling of, of that that we're we're all unmoored here. Um, and I think that is disturbing on a massive scale to people i don't think
0: it's just that i mean i really do think that it's um, not just that no, no but I no i mean it, it is absolutely that i mean let me say i'm that's an unfair way for me to put this because it's absolutely that 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 what it is is you know we are all being put in the position of winston smith having to say two plus two equals four Um, And being told, no, 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 it is time for you to say two plus two equals five, and we are going to torture you until you say two plus two. And what is the torture? The torture is denial of social position, the torture is getting suspended from social media, the torture is, you know, being seen as being uh, uh, cruel, dismissive, uh, goading, uh, goading, suffering people into suicide, uh, which is the other, the flip side of the wanting to be kind is also the fear, the fear of being called out for your uh, heterodoxy, where uh, th- though in fact the heterodoxy is really, you know, believing that uh, gender, uh, gender is a is dismissed as a is a fluid category, um, and so uh, th- that's part of it. But we are all being told uh, to say that two plus two equals five, that Leah Thomas is a woman. That Leah Thomas, moreover, is not just a woman, but is Jackie Robinson. Uh, That Leah Thomas is, you know, and Leah Thomas is somebody who has not, for example, gone through Transition surgery. So she hasn't, you know, he, she, whatever. He hasn't dates put-
1: women as well. He dates women and he has all his male parts. And it's been a source of consternation among the other women in the lock, the women in the locker room who have to be around right. him. It's this is all that they've complained about this. And one right. of them, I think, put it succinctly and perfectly. She said, All of us are made to feel uncomfortable. For the sake of this one person, is that just what about our rights? What about our rights to privacy or, or our level of comfort when we have to change our clothes and not to see an aroused male in our locker room, which has right. evidently been a problem. Right. So, you know,
0: so then we get into the fact that there is now an actual class of victims from this what would be the most private behavior that anybody has ever engaged in, in the course of human history which is to make these decisions that will that involve the alteration the in the irreversible alteration of the structure of your body a violation of the hippocratic oath that allows doctors to remove body parts that are healthy, uh, which is why we have the Hippocratic Oath to begin with, is to prevent doctors from making decisions like this. Or, or that the moral code or the moral frame should be that they are allowed to make decisions like this, um, and that these are very private, and that they're becoming public, so that it's more like uh, in the course of the last two years when we've seen an unprecedented number of mental health challenges, particularly for adolescents, and for reasons that we don't really understand, particularly for adolescent girls, that this idea that there is a, there is an escape from the pain and suffering that you were going through, through the redefinition of yourself as a male, uh, is no longer victimless, or it's no longer private and individual and an eccentric or very radical decision uh, made you know, by uh, an individual person who is in such pain and in such suffering that they're willing to engage in things that people don't ordinarily choose to engage in, like you know, having having something um, amputated from their person. Uh, that is not something that you do. That is a normal choice, right? You don't amputate your arm unless it's gangrenous. You don't amputate body parts unless they're gonna kill you for some other reason. Um, and it's terrifying. And it's like the last resort of all last resorts. And here we are, and now tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of girls are being led down this path. And that is no longer an individual eccentric, as I say, sort of victimless thing. It's not just Leah Thomas you know, getting, getting swimming medals that belong to somebody else. It is that um, progressive American society is telling particularly the most emotionally undefended people in the United States uh, singing a siren song of self-mutilation, self-destruction, and that's where the evil comes in.
1: Well, and there, there's a lot of disingenuous uh, narrative around, particularly with the girls who decide that they're boys and want to transition. And that's that, you know, the suicide rates are often invoked. Like, look at the high suicide rates among people who who are transgender. This is another reason why they need special protection. We need to be, you know, kind to them, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, uh, I, you know, the suicide rate among people who are experiencing this identity crisis is real. However, it's often also linked to other mental health problems. Uh, problems, and if you look at some of the data on detransitioning, people who've trans, particularly the girls who've who've uh, transitioned to boys and then detransitioned back to to girls, they uh, the, the number one reason is that they realized that their transition was actually related to a significant other mental health issue that needed treatment. So the suicide rate that's often invoked uh, is real, but I but it's also could be part of a broader mental health challenge. That transitioning is not going to solve. In fact, it could exacerbate. There are also significant health concerns for this. A woman who who takes puberty blockers is setting herself up for all kinds of long-term health issues. Same same with men who take puberty blockers. I mean, these are not discussed at all, but, you know, issues from, you know, early osteoporosis, heart conditions, all kinds of stuff, because this is experimental. This is not really something that we have long-term studies and the studies we do have show high risks. So the, the risk to reward ratio for people who are truly suffering some, some mental health crisis here is, is something that's also not being discussed. I mean, these are the kinds of problems that we talk about when we talk about people who suffer from things like anorexia or, or other conditions in which the transformation of the physical body becomes the central focus, but we're not doing that here because there's a political narrative that has to be pursued. And and the result is that there's real harm being done to people.
0: Um, you know, I, I also, I feel like there's a, one of the reasons that I say, I think things are changing and that we're having this conversation, not just because of Kataji Brown Jackson and Leah Thomas, we're having this conversation is because two or three years ago, I'm not sure I would have been comfortable having this conversation that the risk reward ratio of having this conversation would have been too great that it took too much bravery. To fight this battle, it took a lot of bravery two or three years ago to have this kind of public conversation because um, the onslaught of of abuse, uh, vilification, um, attack, effort to deplatform, all of that would have been very um, extreme and uh, and not worth the candle, um, because in part. Uh, you know, there the moral high ground seemed to be attached to the notion that people were being to oppose this was to be cruel to people who might then commit suicide. and that you were somehow, uh, you were somehow being part and parcel of an effort to uh, because of a misguided uh, moral reactionary stand, st- standing, uh, you were you were contributing to an atmosphere of hate and murder and slaughter and all of that and and I think
1: something that's why I'm saying something has changed. Well, the one thing that I th- I think you're right. One of the things that's changed is that I a lot of this discussion. I mean, I'm talking about largely children and more vulnerable population, you know, we're talking about this reaching children and, and the message reaching children versus adults who can make decisions for themselves. And if they can, you know, just like people can find plastic surgeons to mutilate their faces and bodies, you can find a diet. It's different for an adult who has, who has that choice and that autonomy. I think what's disturbing to a lot of people is that this is, this is starting to impact younger and younger children. I I
0: also think that, yeah, so let's get to, let's get to that philosophically um uh it is one thing uh, that um the adoption of certain types of progressive ideologies require the denial of hard realities in order to achieve progressive aims i'll give you one example this happened three or four weeks ago where somebody seriously started to argue and i don't remember who so you have to give me a you have to give me a break here but that um there's no such thing as a fetal heartbeat. Uh, if you hear a fetal heartbeat at six or seven weeks, it's not really a heartbeat. It's noise. It's noise from the ultrasound. It's an echo or something like that. Now, if you want to be pro-choice, or if you are pro-choice, or if you're very seriously pro-choice, you are put in a very you're put in a, a more a serious moral position, which is you have to argue that this is this is morally acceptable, right? To sort of to to extirpate this fetus or do some, you know sort of uh, end this fetus, remove this fetus from from its protective shell and and that's the end of the fetus, right? So uh, it is understandable that people want to think that it's not alive. It'd be understandable that people want to think that pain can't be felt and all of that. And it's understandable for properly and just in terms that you would you would say it's moral. it's just like uh, you know, it's just a clump of cells you want to be morally serious about it, you've got to say, okay, it's not just a clump of cells. And it's still something that given all, everything we know about human history, human life, human this, human that, women, what women need and all of that, this is still something that I'm willing to support because the other argument is disingenuous. Similarly, to say that the view of all mankind that uh gender is fixed and it is in fact not a view i mean it is one of the two salient biological facts of our existence that when the when the you know uh when when we begin to become multi-celled creatures one of the first things that differentiates are the are the are the gender chromosomes so this precedes everything including consciousness because we don't even have a brain stem yet So the idea that you can wake up in the you know you can you can you can come out of the you can come out of the womb, or you know be two or three years old and know that you're you're if you're a if you're you know if you've been assigned femaleness from birth that you're actually a boy, is not even theoretically possible as a matter of sequence, because you are gendered before you have brain function you know, this is a radical dualism, right? That your brain knows that there's something wrong. You should be a girl, but you're a boy, or you should be a boy, but you're a girl. But that's like saying, you know, you should be breathing carbon dioxide instead of oxygen. This is not something that you know or don't know. It is an immutable fact of our existence that is, by the way, I would say proved by the fact that there are... um, Anomalies that there are these, you know, terrible, sad cases, tiny cases of, you know, anomalies, Turner syndrome, uh, triple X, you know, uh, double XY, you know, different forms of genetic mutation, or you know, or uh, um, that that uh, are tragic in part because they show what happens when you don't have a good working XY chromosome, but you survive nonetheless, right? Or or XX chromosome, but you know, usually. Usually such such beings end up, you know, sort of naturally aborting. But when they don't, then they they live. They deserve compassion, support, all that. It's all wonderful. But they are anomalous. They're not.
2: You know, they're not some new third other category. Oh, but but they are there's an effort there. Right. uh, On the part of, uh, you know, trans activist types to inflate the percentage of actual cases of um, what's technically called pseudo hermaphrodism uh, right. in its various forms. In in reality, it's, it's, you know, 0.00, 00 something percentage of the population. Um, but uh, they may claim saying it's about 3% or 2, 2% two of the population. right? Um, because they you know, the idea is that if there's If there's any sort of uh, if a male has any sort of feminine traits, well, then that's that's an example of pseudo hermaphrodism and vice versa, uh, which is not what it is. Right.
1: Anyhow, so. Yeah, I was just going to add it. Also, the direction that the gender ideology narrative is moving now does actually leaves less room for what I think a lot of normal people, including people who who want to live as women if they are biologically male and vice versa, uh, would like, which is tolerance for a variation in and gender expressionism, right? You can express yourself if you're a male, you can be a very feminine male or very masculine male. The same goes for women. And the tolerance, the sort of a libertarian attitude about gender expression is fine. Like I, I Our some of our more conservative uh, friends would disagree, but I I don't have a problem with that. Part of what I see the gender ideologists uh, pushing here is a kind of zero tolerance. You you have to be completely on board with what they're saying and you can't, there's no medium ground, right? There's no real tolerance for all kinds of forms of expression. Um, It's all, it's just much more radical. And I think that then forces people to choose sides on an issue that many people don't really one or two sides on
0: okay so i want to go back to the hearing so let's go back to the hearing and say that katanji brown jackson has shown where the ball has moved because ordinarily you get questions yeah about abortion like you say or about women's rights or about what it means to not support you know precedent or what you know do you do you, you know will your jurisprudence you know uh, show compassion toward the poor or special compassion toward the poor or the suffering or something like that in this case, she was asked by Marsha Blackburn and by others, you know, these sort of elemental questions involving the culture war that I I, I genu- generally don't think that confirmation hearings, with the exception of Kavanaugh, which seemed to have an effect on Senate races because of this idea that, you know, The liberal media and the liberal establishment were trying to railroad this guy by lying about him and lying about him in high school and all of that and it did seem to kind of rally some people in the Senate didn't have didn't help in the House uh, in 2018 but did seem to help some people in the Senate but generally speaking this these are not political working political issues. And I don't know I mean I think a lot of these hits that Republicans were delivering um, making her explain her complex views on the sentencing of, um, of, of sex offenders and her general, the things that she did on the sentencing commission and how the, all this, uh, you know, sort of connects to crime and all of that. I'm not saying that we'll have a one-to-one effect on, on, on the races in, in 2022, but it will harden in the minds of people the idea that de- Democrats are now on the side of arguing for things like it's okay for a man to win medals as a woman, it's okay for you know, it's okay for sex offenders to be given lenient sentences. That the, these all then tie into other ideas about the radicalism of the Democratic Party on 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 gender, on race, on crime. Um, And may have an effect. Noah, do you think that there's a larger impact this has? I mean, it's March, the election's in November. Maybe it's ridiculous to say that. I just think it creates a kind of atmosphere. It it helps reveal the atmosphere in which the Democratic Party and its candidates have to run, just as we all have to wrestle with or reckon with uh, the, the, the Trump example on the Republican side, like, you know, it all comes back to, are you really going to say that the election was stolen? Are you really, you know, where, where do you come out on this? Do you vote against people? Because they, they didn't, they refused to share Trump's delusion, all of that. That's something Republicans have to reckon with.
3: But Democrats have to reckon with this, I think, anyway. Yep, I'm going to push all my chips in and say nobody remembers this in two months. Not one thing. You would have to be on Twitter to even be aware of this soundbite regarding Marsha Blackburn. It's not making the cable news hits. It's not making national news hits on the network news hits. It's something that is uh, was designed to get Marsha Blackburn play online and it's working. And senators always ask these kind of questions to, of judicial nominees for the high court that are well beyond their remit in order to get them to answer outside their remit and expand their uh, the terms of what a justice is supposed to do in order to indict them for having the gall to actually answer the question. She did not in this case, which is what you're supposed to do. But she wasn't entirely evasive when it comes to these sort of sociocultural issues. Senator Cruz asked her about a, uh, a, a book, child's book, An Anti-Racist Baby, which is uh, on the curriculum of a, a school that she is on the board of and asked if she thought babies were racist. And she answered that question. Now, it was an evasive answer, it was a political answer, but it's the sort of thing that happens where, you know, in these in these hearings, they ask you that a question that a normal human being in a bar would answer off the cuff, but a judge does not, or a judicial nominee does not, because that is not what they're there for. Um, she didn't do that in this particular case. She answered like a normal human being, and she did that a lot. She was actually extremely well-coached and extremely cogent and did more than she had to in order to ingratiate her to Republican nominees. Not only did she run away from uh, critical senators, race theory, yeah. senators, and not only did she run away from critical race theory in a way she didn't have to, uh, beyond and be above and beyond what she needed to do just to distance herself from the toxicity of the far left. But not only that, but she apparently for people who um, are much better versed in judicial philosophy than I am, Uh, described and defined originalism and took ownership of originalism, meaning the interpretation of the uh, Constitution as it was originally written in ways that the founders who wrote it would understand it to mean. Um, She took ownership of this philosophy in a way that uh, impressed uh, conservative court watchers to a degree that they think Republicans wouldn't even be able to articulate this philosophy in such a in such a manner or fashion. Um, this is a very smooth confirmation process. She will sail through the nomination. She will get Republican votes. I don't know how many, but it's not going to be a small amount. And we will not remember this moment by June. Um-
0: so I think it is going to be a small amount. Not that that matters, because it only really has to be one or two anyway. And uh, I don't think there's any reward to Republicans in voting for her. So I I, I still think it'll be fifty-two or fifty-three to forty, you know, eight to forty-seven. Um, but and you're right that no one will remember. I, I I what I'm 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 asking a sort of more general question about whether or not in the frame of the culture wars of 2022 the general idea has been in the mainstream media that it is the right that is that is interested in fighting culture wars not the left and here and what we have now is a vision what we were offered here was a vision of the way in which the left uh conducts the culture war which is famous Trumpist term gaslighting is gaslighting for Tondra Brown Jackson to say she can't define what a woman is. Of course, she can define what a woman is. She doesn't want to. She chooses not to. She says only a biologist can define what a woman is. Um, And so, you know, uh, that's also a famous thing about confirmation hearings. You know, uh, For her to say that she isn't really up on critical race theory, she was at Harvard Law School when Derrick Bell, who was basically the expostulator of critical race theory, was at Harvard Law School. It was the number one fashionable issue. Of course she knows what critical race theory is, but it shows you the genius of the new world of people who want to be ambition ambitious in law, which is that um, she's not much published. That's why all we hear about are these two speeches she gave, one in 2015 and one in 2019. She made, clearly made a very conscious decision that she was not going to be a public legal intellectual and put herself down, as holding views that were not, you know, for the most part, Um, because it is the paper trail that kills you. It is the Bob Bork paper trail that kills you. Uh, One of the reasons that David Souter was chosen for the Supreme Court in 1989 or 1990 or whatever it was, is that he had never written anything. And therefore, when he came before the court, he could argue preposterously with a straight face, but without any way for the court, for anybody to nail him, that not only hadn't he ever had a conversation about abortion, not only hadn't he ever had an argument about abortion, but that he had never in the course of his life had a thought pass through his head about the subject of abortion. That is something that David Souter said under oath before, you know, the Senate judiciary committee. He said, I've never had a thought about abortion. Now, Everybody knows that's a lie, but of course, you can't prove that it's a lie because there's no, you know, at least, you know, said it to me, you know, at a bar because he never went to a bar and he sat at home with his mother for 90 years. Such a spectacular weirdo. So he's enough of a weirdo that he could make this argument and go forward. And now we have this world of people who basically, Katanji Brown Jackson, I think, like one of those people who always wanted to be president, has always wanted to be on the Supreme Court. And she, from a very young age, realized the thing she needed to do was avoid having a paper trail as much as possible. And she doesn't have one. Um, And it's interesting, but I still think that something is revealed here, that that the Republicans are going to come at the Democrats on culture war matters in 2022. Some of them are not really culture war. Crime is not a culture war issue. Crime is a crime issue. Crime is a first order issue. It's not symbolic of anything else. Come at them on crime, come at them on on the on on the on this sort of threat to the good working order of American families and all this. And the democratic, liberal, progressive line is we don't, we're not saying any of that. We don't, there is, I we can't define what a woman is or something. And and that is bad. Like that is, they're gonna be thrown on the defensive the entire time. All they're gonna say is what, you're being mean, you're so mean you're so mean and it's like well don't tell me that i am mean i don't want my i don't want my 10th grader to be in a gender neutral bathroom and then get molested by a guy in a skirt who realizes that he can go into the bathroom in a skirt and then molest girls and the problem is it's no longer theoretical that that's a thing that could happen because it happened it happened in fairfax county
2: virginia our, you know, well, also our, oh, go ahead. as the as the Pandemic continues to exit the stage. Um, the Democrats don't have the, these reckless Republicans are going to get you killed message anymore either.
1: Right. It's, well, it's funny because our, our friend Adam White at AEI had, uh, who's been obviously following the hearings very closely, noted how a lot of the co- things that the media is portraying as these, you know, completely unfair culture war questions that, of course, you shouldn't have to answer. And oh, it's racist to ask her about crime and sentencing. It's not racist. Um, He said it's actually about discretionary power. It's about how the government, how the state is allowed to exercise power and and what role a judge has in either curbing that power or endorsing it. And those questions are important, particularly because the other thing that that, you know, uh, she should be uh, at least be able to comment on is the legitimacy of the court, because it is it, it remains the one branch of government that people still have some good feeling toward. I liked that she was non-committal about the idea of uh, bringing television cameras into the Supreme Court. And not just because I'm a Luddite, I think that would actually uh, undermine uh, some of the seriousness of court proceedings in the high court. And I liked that she was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. But the legitimacy of the institution she wants to have a lifetime appointment on, that's a really important thing. The discretionary power of the state, particularly after two years of the exercise of emergency power from the feds on down to local government. These are important questions, and they actually speak to a lot of the daily concerns of Americans still.
0: I will say this. She's very smart. She's a very impressive witness. Uh, She's an impressive witness in the way that Amy Coney Barrett was an impressive witness. She's emotionally uh, contained. Um, she is uh, amusing. Uh, she, uh, doesn't get, she v- hardly got baited and, uh, and, uh, and even her, even the decision on the spur of the moment, not to define what a woman is showed her cleverness. That was a clever, it depends on what the meaning of is, is
3: move. And maybe she, I, mean, I mean, this is not it. going to I be very popular. This is not a popular yeah. opinion, apparently, but that was a trap and she avoided it. And it was, a that's dumb what I'm trap. saying. But it was a dumb trap. No, it wasn't. It was, it was a I really disagree. No, I, I
1: disagree. I,
3: it was a, a, a lasso tied to a tree. You could see it coming for a mile, which is why the Ted Cruz question, which was savvier, is the one she answered. These okay, are questions are designed for you not to answer them because any answer counts against you. OK, but look, here's what she was asked. She's on the
0: board. Of the georgetown day school the georgetown day school like many private schools in the united states it seems to have gone all in can i just every, add just go it ahead.
1: is the most liberal private progressive school in washington right. the kids call the teachers by their first name it is like it's the uber progressive private school right. in the dc area just anyway FYI. also
0: also also the most prestigious probably and so here's the thing she's on the board the school has gone all in on every fashionable form of teaching and she was asked whether she agreed with the teaching the you know the the school that her children went to and how and it's pedagogy and she said well it doesn't matter because it's the, the it's a private school now that's a savvy answer and it's good it gets her through and because there's a because there's a democratic majority or a democratic 5050
3: on the court she'll sail through um we should add these this was a 13 hour hearing there's many more hours coming today and these are the only two moments that we can pluck out of this 13-hour bit that even reflect a modestly That's poorly what, on her. There is no, that so that means there's 12 hours her. and 50 minutes of substantive engagement with the senators on judicial philosophy.
1: You
0: misunderstand me. I am not saying they reflect badly on her. I'm saying they reflect that she is a formidable and clever um, you know, uh, counterpuncher or debater or whatever you want to call it. All Supreme Court confirmation hearings are disingenuous. Everybody is disingenuous. The only person who has not been disingenuous in a hearing like this in my lifetime was Bob Bork. <laughs> you know, that, that, there's your lesson. Because Bob Bork was the foremost legal intellectual in the United States. And rather than run away from the things that he said, he attempted to explain them. And then somebody, Howell Heflin of Alabama, voted against him because he had been a socialist in college. Because even there, it didn't matter what he said. And what, all of that didn't matter. This was a power play against, uh, you know, against the flipping of the court from, from left or center to right. And they were going to stop Bob Bork, however they were going to stop Bob Bork. But everybody learned, don't say what you mean. Don't say what you feel. Try to figure out what the consensus is. Target, target the two senators that you need to put you all over the top, Murkowski and Collins. Target them. Say you like America, like you have these meetings with these senators, if you're Ketanji Brown Jackson, they give you signals, what they want to hear you say. Everything that we've heard, if she runs away from critical race theory, it's because Susan Collins said, you don't really like that critical race theory thing, do you? And she's like, thank you very much, Senator. And then they go back and they game it out. And it's like, you know, appealing to a, a specific witness on a court, if you know something about the witness, right? And so and justice, the same
3: thing with Justice Brown Jackson said that the United States has the best legal system on the planet Earth.
0: Yeah, that's not something Lisa you Murkowski. Say. Yes, because Lisa Murkowski said to her, don't you think the United States has the best justice system on Earth? And then she go, you know, it's like, let's take that note. I'm, and she can hem sp- and
3: haw if she wanted to, because she only needs 51 votes. No, she didn't. you can't hem and haw. No, you're not going to hem and haw. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Anyway, I'm saying she's what I'm trying she, to say she, is that yeah. she went above and beyond on several occasions to court Republican votes and she didn't have to say so maybe, she's not, recording, so maybe she's not recording Republican votes. Maybe she actually means it.
0: Oh, she doesn't mean it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, she doesn't mean it. You know, she doesn't mean it. She is going to be the most liberal justice on that in that court's history.
3: I don't think so. I think Sotomayor will absolutely beat her in that regard. No, because she's smarter than
0: Sotomayor, and she's more able than Sotomayor, and she will be able to apply interesting new doctrine about whether or not you can define what a woman is whenever she wants to, once she gets herself on and the court. And she's young. Remember, She'll be there a long time. And remember, the whole thing about Sotomayor. Anyway, that, that's my... look. I'm happy to hear what she said. I think it's a good sign in the United States that she was compelled to say that we have the best legal system in the world and she likes the founders. That's good, just as it's bad and it means something specific that she went where she went on on, on you know, transgenderism because these are revelations of where she thinks or where the middle is for somebody like her. And that is uh, uh, both frightening and I think, does provide a window into the kinds of things where Democrats are have find themselves going in a very politically self-destructive manner against and uh, the electorate.
1: One more, just one more reminder that because she's such a clearly competent, able, um, intelligent, witty person, why on earth Joe Biden made her a token by announcing he was going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. It's it angers me on her behalf every time she answers a question and that Maisie, what's her name? The the, uh, progressive from Hawaii was like, some people are saying that you were only chosen because you're a black woman. You're like, no, not some people. The president announced that on the campaign trail and then repeated it later. Like I I just it it angers me on her behalf because she did it because he wanted
0: votes. He did it because he was in South Carolina and he told Jim Clyburn and he would do it, and he did it.
1: I know it does a disservice a to her because she's a she's a very competent competent woman. See,
0: I agree with that, but on the other hand, like so, you know, so that's the that was the price of the ticket for her to get to the Supreme Court, as it turns out, you know. And by the way, the price of the ticket to be safe and secure in America in twenty twenty two might be battle box your go-to monthly subscription for hand-picked outdoor survival and everyday carry gear. Getting the best gear for yourself not only takes time, but can be incredibly expensive. That's why BattleBox brings you name brand high quality products every month at half the price of what they cost on their own. Just pick the box that works for you and get tested and vetted products you can trust that are selected by an expert team of outdoor professionals from an Aquapod emergency water kit to an atomic bear survival bivy delivered right to your doorstep each month. BattleBox has shipped over 1 million boxes since 2015 and has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to Survivor's Edge. Find out why. Outdoor enthusiasts call BattleBox the best gear I never knew I wanted. Sign up, receive, survive. What are you waiting for? Don't miss another BattleBox mission. And from now until March 31st, get a free mystery box worth $115 or more with any new subscription at trybattlebox.com slash commentary. Battlebox, by the way, is spelled B-A-T-T-L-B-O-X. So that's a free mystery box worth $115 or more right now at dot com slash commentary. Trybattlebox.com slash commentary. And, uh, sorry, um, look, if, if somebody relies on your financial support, your children, an aging parent, a business partner, you need life insurance, which can give you that peace of mind to know that if something happens to you, you, your loved ones, your business partners will have a financial cushion to surrender mortgage payments, loans, education costs, everyday expenses, And having life insurance through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more coverage to properly provide for their families. Typically, life insurance gets more expensive as you age, so it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later. And that's why I'm talking to you about Policy Genius, your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Head to policygenius.com, answer a few questions, and in minutes you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius, the team of licensed experts at Policy Genius will help you understand your options and apply for the policy you choose. And the team works for you, not the insurance companies. You can trust them to offer unbiased help and advocate for you at every step until you're covered. It doesn't add on extra fees. It doesn't sell your info to third parties. It has thousands of five-star reviews. And it has options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $120 billion in coverage. So head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. Um, Joe Biden is off to Europe uh, to consult with NATO allies on the uh, continuing war in Ukraine. And we hear that, you know, they're going to toughen sanctions, they're going to add more sanctions, there's going to be a lot of sanctions. And I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, all of that uh, is really, uh, it, I wouldn't say it's immaterial, but it is uh, second or third order now, because the whole question now is, what are we going to do to help the Ukrainians in their military struggle, not what are we going to do to continue to, you know, sort of put the squeeze on on, on Russia uh, which is helpful but obviously not sufficient and the real immediate issue is can the ukrainians get resupplied can they can they be given uh the means to carry on what are we going to do about the possible humanitarian crisis in terms of um you know food and uh whether or not they're they're you know no one's working in ukraine and uh, are they going to be able to harvest in the you know we're plant or harvest in the spring uh you don't harvest in the spring but you know what i'm saying um and so uh you know uh, what are we doing there and it's interesting cuz there are very few details coming out about that beyond what we know already but that's really am i wrong is i mean that's the
2: important thing here is
0: that and the,
2: them. that and the, and the the building anticipation about whether or not vladimir putin's going to employ unconventional weapons as his as uh, his his the russian troops um you know, as, as their campaign is stalling and troops are dying and they lose morale. And he's, he seems to be uh, more up against it than anyone ever thought he would be. And um, that, that there's a lot of building tension on, on, on that front. No one's
3: talking about this in <clears throat> Western governments and they shouldn't yet because they cannot confirm it, but they will in the next coming hours, if not days, um, Ukrainian counteroffensives organized counter-offensives uh, along a series of axes around Kiev are are succeeding they're liberating strategic towns they're limiting Russia to uh, narrow strategic roadways into and out of Kiev uh, and they're setting up Russia for uh, more strategic uh, more operational losses and even a strategic loss around Kiev that was Uh, something we didn't think Ukraine had the capacity to to actually do. They've so far been engaged in very decentralized uh, hit-and-run attacks on uh, Russian supply lines, which is a a sort of thing that looks a little bit more like an insurgency. But we're starting to see now a a command and control apparatus that is still in place, that is executing uh, operations that require a kind of communication strategy and a, and a combined arms strategy that we didn't think Ukraine was even capable of two weeks ago. They are, and it's beginning to bite. Um, we're starting, and We we forecast this, uh, I think a week ago or so ago, that there would be some murmurs about the prospect, not just of Russian advance stalling out, but of Russia actually losing this war in a meaningful sense, not just, oh, they didn't get what they wanted, but an undeniable strategic defeat. In uh, then a week or so next week or the week thereafter, we're going to start to see people come around to the notion that Ukraine can beat back this invasion. I don't think that's something that is justified by what we're currently seeing on the ground, but what we're currently seeing on the ground is not something anybody expected to see two weeks ago. I mean, I think it's, it's not going to be in a couple of weeks. I mean, we talked about this
0: yesterday, I think. I mean, there is a body of opinion among kind of, you know, uh, neo- neocons uh, that I think may be irrationally exuberant, but I'm not quite sure. But, you know, Elliot Cohen, uh, Fred Kagan, uh, Ed Lutwak uh, saying that the Ukrainians are winning or may even have already won
3: in some fundamental sense. Yeah, but sense in many that... ways, they're behind the eight ball because we were saying that two weeks ago. Right, <laughs> At least forecasting know. that they would begin to feel comfortable enough to say it outright. Now, this is contingent entirely upon the weapons supplied. To Ukrainian forces, which have to come from the West. If that, that is my up, point, that's right. the end of that.
0: That is my point, because if NATO is getting together to talk about, you know, theoretical issues involving what, what Abe was talking about, which is what, what do they do if unconventional weapons, you know, chemical weapons, biological weapons, whatever, are used, uh, for which there is, of course, there's an enormous practical problem in using them when you have, Troops downwind, downriver, down whatever, uh, in Ukraine. You know there there are a hundred and some odd thousand Russians in country, and I don't know how many are you know sir, are, are ringing Kiev. And you know you can't control where that stuff goes if you you know unless you're targeting it to an individual person. Like it's no joke. Like there is a there is a serious there is a serious problem with using. kind of weaponry it's why every time you have a you have a sort of um uh scenario you know pop culture scenario about the use of uh of of chemical biological or nuclear weapons it's always like a guy brings a suitcase uh, on a plane to another country leaves it there and then runs the hell away right because you can't you use it on a battlefield and you're going to kill your own men so uh I'm saying that the I want to know what the practical consequences or details are going to be coming out of this NATO meeting about precisely the logistics of how we are going to keep the Ukrainians supplied and resupplied with, I don't know, bullets, you know, not just fancy weaponry, but, you know, bullets, guns, you know, things that they need to fight on a daily basis and and continue with the with the with the incredibly successful asymmetrical campaign that they're conducting, right? I mean, they're, we, we're these are not you know these are not battle by battle. They are taking the Russians down from behind, below, on the side, sideways, and you know the Russians are clearly demoralized and confused and without any real emotional connection to the effort that they're making. Every all these kind of ice assume A week ago, they're real. Okay. a week
3: yeah. ago the the conventional wisdom in the military affairs circles was that Russia was regrouping Russian advance had stalled only because they they were you know re the lines having lost a, you know a tenth of their forces so they had to change the battle plans and they were regrouping for an, another secondary offensive and then everybody watched as they dug in they didn't regroup they dug their positions in in and around the cities that they hold for what everybody assumed would be and and witnessed later a, a campaign of total war using strategic bombing long-range artillery to try to level these population centers but it wasn't a regrouping for another offensive because the, the offensive hasn't materialized and in the interim they've been losing through attrition um the same amount of, uh, of weapons, heavy equipment, and, and soldiers that they were losing when they were executing a, a, a regular offensive. So the conventional wisdom is constantly playing catch up with the with the news on the ground. So it's time to start looking at the news on the ground, right? Even though it's unconfirmed and patchy, and, and it could perhaps unfavor uh, give you an, an an impression of the conflict that is more favorable to Ukraine's position than deserves to be. Gives you a, sh- a shading of reality, but it's time to expand our capacity to imagine outcomes here, because all of the imagined outcomes that we've been talking about for a week that are conventional wisdom at the time are inoperative a week later. Um, you know, we keep having these conversations about
0: how, you know, Putin may have miscalculated because Ukraine, you know, isn't Afghanistan. It's not, you know, it's not a second or third world country. It's something else. It's an almost first world country. I just want to talk culturally about something as happens i did yesterday which is i watched netflix has now put up vladimir zelensky's breakthrough tv series servant of the people which is you know the ukrainian version of mr smith goes to washington sort of like an ordinary guy or that show that or that movie the campaign uh that will ferrell and zach alfanakis with a totally ordinary guy is sort of put into the presidency by oligarch, by you know corrupt Ukrainians out of nowhere, finds himself as president of Ukraine. Uh, and what, what he does. And I've only watched two episodes. I guess they just put it up yesterday, the day before yesterday on Netflix. Uh, what, what I was struck by is not the sophistication of the series or anything like that. I was struck by the production values of the series. This is one hell of a good looking show. It is a sitcom, but it it looks like V or it looks like a thriller and it is high quality. It is quite brilliantly photographed. Um, It is photographed, like I say, sort of more like a a suspense or action series than it is filmed like a sitcom. Um, If it were on HBO now as an American show, it would be credibly there as a piece of sort of filmmaking. And I, I don't want to overstate the meaning of this, except to say we and the and the Russians have no idea the reserves of this, you know, 44 million person country, that they actually have enough of a, I don't know, a intellectual creative class to produce something this high quality that was so... Um, apparently so, uh, so advanced even for Ukraine that it made Zelensky himself a credible figure to do in the world, what his character happens to his character in the show, even though the whole idea there is he's kind of an idiot and he's being put there to kind of, you know, serve as a
3: front man for bad guys. I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you why. And it's, (laughs) and it's not just this particular production, every piece of pro-government propaganda that kiev puts out is stunning is gorgeous is incredibly well edited has an amazing sound design has has, as somebody who is director of photography deserves oscars they're brilliant pieces of of um media that are affecting moving um and compelling and you know why because and it's central to the theory of this entire war because ukraine is western it has more ties to the West, commercial ties, uh, 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 educational ties, cultural ties, to the point where it has fully and entirely imported and absorbed our cultural tastes and standards, which are reflected in that piece of media that you're, you're watching right now, John, and in the propaganda that we're, uh, that we're privy to coming out of Kiev. And you don't see that from Russia because Russia has no idea how to emulate Western styles and tastes. They pride themselves on not understanding Western styles and tastes, in fact, rejecting Western styles and tastes. And so they can't compete with us in a, in a cultural sense in the way that Ukraine can, because Ukraine has integrated itself over the last eight years uh, and earlier in the, in the Western part of the country, but now fully the entire country over the course of the last eight years. And it's pr- powerful and effective.
2: I'm going to be uptight and scolding, and you're all going to disagree with me. OK. I was uncomfortable with, with Netflix doing that in the first place. I had something about the idea of there a meeting you know saying uh you know uh hey you know this this war thing people seem to like this zelensky guy let's give him more you know it's like hey you you find zelensky entertaining well you're going to love this you know it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a i don't know it's a, of course it's unserious but it's a it's a kind of it's a bit of a trivializing um, move on in in my estimation. You oh, think it I,
3: cheapens I, I, it, but uh, yeah, I fully disagree. I and mean, this is the guy's I backstory. They didn't invent it. Yeah, I mean that is. Yeah, I is, mean, look, if he had written, if he had written like suspense novels, uh, it,
0: it would t- it would take too long. Would take a long time to translate them right. into the language. But you might read them to try to get clues about you know who he was and what he did. I'm just saying, I I took if he some made kind widgets, a... there,
3: there would be the most popular widget on earth. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just I just think that it is interesting I think Noah's point is 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 very salient and that um because this was a faraway land of which we knew little and because it is a faraway land of which clearly Vladimir Putin knows little that there was a fundamental misunderstanding now ordinarily we would say well look it's so western that it's probably corrupted and you know it's like it has bad values and materialism and this and that and the other thing and I that's not I'm saying this is this is a formidable place like I've watched and a lot of us have watched a lot of TV from a lot of places where we never saw TV before Um, and I'm telling you like Netflix's huge hit over the last four or five years money heist which is from which is a Spanish show um, is way dumber than servant of the people which is an incredibly interesting blend of satire and as i say kind of like um political thriller and uh it doesn't mean that they're going to win a war because they can make servant of the people what it does mean is that um this notion that this you know i I know this is putin's propaganda but you know this is a country of nazi you know heroin addicts uh that need russian rule when it seems like a at least in the elite versions a vastly more, maybe a vastly more sophisticated country than Russia is in its elite version, not Russia historically, which of course, you know, is one of the great cultural civilizations, but, um, but certainly at the present. Um, and I think as Noah says, like watching it shows you how thoroughly they are like us um, in a very weird way. Uh, this is a populist piece of satirical political television, and I don't mean populist like Tucker Carlson populist. I mean populist like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or Dave, which is also quite like that Kevin Costner movie where where an ordinary guy ends up being the you know subbing for the president of the United
3: States.
1: Not Kevin Costner, my... the other Kevin. The uh, Kevin, Kevin Klein. Kevin yeah, Klein. thank you.
3: <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the back because. I feel inclined to do that uh, because before, even before the shooting started, I remember saying that this would have a different effect on the psyche of the West, watching the war that was about to play out because we would see people who spoke English fighting an invading force in a shopping mall that looks like your shopping mall where they would have you know images coming out of this place that would look very Western and would feel very Western and would have a psychological effect on observers in the West, quite unlike observing uh, uh, combat in Afghanistan or in the Middle East or in North Africa. So, that is a American very yeah, situation.
0: That is a very important point. And it is true, by the way, of all the former Soviet republics. The leadership classes of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia are people who not only were educated in the United States. A lot of them grew up in the United States as, uh, you know, um,
3: are people Julia, that, I'm like, sorry, I'm interrupting used... you. Julia Yaffe yeah. got in a lot of trouble for saying something very similar to this and she probably shouldn't have because it's not- people, nah, I, I'm glad they, she got into they trouble. They interpret it as, oh, this is just white people. You only care about this because it's white people. No, it's because these people are very much like your neighbors and the setting that they're fighting in looks like your town. And a lot of it has cultural touchstones that you can absolutely identify it with in, in ways that you can't when the fighting's in Mosul. Yeah. I'm sure she would have shown the same generosity
0: oh. to you as
3: you have just shown to her. In
0: well, yeah, She other didn't.
2: Circumstances. She, she meant to say people care about this because they're white people. Yeah. She was, she people. got into and, trouble. And we because... should,
0: we should care about Syria just the same, but we don't. So there we are. But uh, I'm just saying, like, as I say, the Baltics, like, and you know, I worked with at the Reagan white house, I worked with the wife of, um, of, uh, uh, president, um, uh, who a guy who was president of Ukraine from 2005 to 2014, whose
3: name like Yanukovych, Kadyrovich the pro-Russian one. Yushenko is the pro-Western one. Complicated case. Yushchenko, excuse Ushanko me. Yushenko, anyway, pro He was the yes. post Orange okay. Revolution president. Anyway,
0: no, but this wasn't post Orange. This anyway, he's not. He was not pro-Russian. But anyway, he's the guy who was poisoned.
3: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's who you're talking about.
0: Anyway, forget it. Kathy Chumachenko was her maiden name, and she was she did captive, she was in the Reagan White House when I was in the Reagan White House. These are very Western people, and they were Western people because they the the governing class of these countries comes from the anti-communist people who were helped, supported, and emotionally ballasted by the West, were educated by the West, listened to Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty listen to american jazz and standards and rock music and all of that and um and they not only sort of in here are they they sort of have this weird combination sort of like the weird part about what ukraine could be for us is that and i don't want to like get way ahead of myself here in terms of you know a victory with ukraine or something like that but it's sort of like what some of us would want america to be that is say but fully western but yet you know not Having no, uh, not sitting around having horrible feelings of ambiguity about the moral frame in which our country exists. You know, they believe their cause is right. They are just they are being attacked, and they are doing what is necessary to save themselves. And it's that precise idea that America, that American elites have lost about America and what it what it is for them and how it is for them. And I'll make one other final analogy. It was crucial to Israel's survival in the first forty years of its existence that. The people who spoke to America from Israel were English speakers. Very important. Abba Eban, the legendary UN ambassador, stuff like that, who had grown up in, in, in England. His name was actually Aubrey Eban before he moved to Israel and became Abba Eban. And of course, Golda Meir, who was Goldie Meyerson from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The fact that they were like us, that they were us, they were us, but living under other circumstances, um, was crucial to establishing this connection, not only with American Jews, but with Americans in general, that Israel was a country like the United States, but a country like the United States, surrounded by people that wanted to destroy them on every side, and that therefore we, that this created a reservoir of national natural sympathy that has only grown over time. And and uh, and and you know has a has a central role in continuing with that, and so that's why you know yeah Zelensky all these guys and they, what's more they don't only speak English. They speak English like they're watching Howard Stern. They speak English. It's like the road sign stuff where they're putting up road signs that say "Go the F back," you know, with an arrow saying "Go the F back to Russia," or. You know, make an effing right turn, and we'll blow you up like that. The the you know some someone is creating road signs somewhere. I don't even know how you make road signs in the United States. You make them in a prison, so I, I don't know who's striking these road signs and putting them up at these at these intersections. But that again displays a kind of sophistication in the in the propaganda war. That um, yeah, that You're that Ukrainians know how to know. meme.
3: Russians don't. It's know a how to country
0: meme. of memes. They have a meme president, right? The guy became president because he was a he was a leadership meme. It's fascinating. Anyway, with that we will thank you again. Commentary.org slash live podcast for more details on our Palm Beach live podcast on April sixth. Please come. We'd love to see you. Till tomorrow for Abe Christina. No, I'm John Pod Keep the candle burning.